0: One of the things that we don't often realize is you can't disappoint God. And let me describe what I mean by that. To be disappointed, if you, Sherry, disappointed me, I would have expected you to be different or do something different than you did, which would cause me to be disappointed in you. Correct? Correct. But God isn't disappointed in us because we can't surprise him. True. And, and to think that we didn't disappoint him by our bad mistakes. We didn't, they didn't catch him surprised. It's like, okay, I've screwed up my life. There's no hope now. It's I'm sorry. That's just not true because no matter what we've done, we didn't surprise him. He looked ahead and provide. He knew my whole life cycle before I was born.
1: When life, as you know, it is flipped upside down. We struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Donna Testian is the founder of Vibrant Living International, a nonprofit organization, and she specializes in helping you turn your baggage into luggage. Don't you love that? so that you can live the life of your dreams using and developing your spiritual intelligence. And I don't think we give enough value to our spiritual intelligence, but there's a lot of wealth in that. And when I say wealth, I'm not talking only about money. I'm talking about rich understanding or deep knowledge, life changing revelation or restful peace, resonating joy, and all the beauty that comes with resting in God's presence. If anyone knows what it takes to be an overcomer, it's Donna. Pregnant at 15 in a society that treated unwed mothers as disgusting or less than deserving, plus her family thought being tough on her was helpful in making her strong, Donna learned how to turn to God and depend on Him to come through for her as she navigated raising a baby with the bare basics. In a harsh social environment, every dead-end solution or brick wall that she came to, Donna learned the value of leaning on God and learning who he wanted to be for her. With each meal on the table, a dependable car, a job, every act of protection, Donna saw God's hand and she let his faithfulness build her trust in him. Listen in and let Donna's experience encourage your heart that you can never disappoint God. And remember, keep your eyes on God because he's writing a much bigger love story with you as the unique person he created you to be so that you can live loved and do more than survive. You can thrive. Donna, welcome. And thank you for being here. Our discussion today is around guilt and shame and trauma. And then God's loving kindness rewrites that, moving us from what we know as religion And I don't know if about about you, I thought that was what it was supposed to be about religion until I had to cry out to the Lord at a time in my life where he had to be real for me. And then I find out that there's far more intimacy than that. And so Donna, tell me a little bit about your childhood.
0: I didn't really know my biological father. My parents were married, but I have no memories. And you don't always know whether that's good or bad. I have very few memories at all. But when mom told me things and they are, they weren't always good things, you know, you know how that goes. Right. When I was around five or six, they divorced. Looking back on it, had no clue. The feeling of your daddy not wanting you to a little girl is a big deal. And so there was that desire to please, that desire to be perfect, that desire to be loved. And whatever that took. So that was where I was coming from. My mom remarried. One of the good things that came out of that is I got a daddy. He is an amazing man, didn't do everything perfect, but he loved me. And I did know that. So that was an amazing thing that came out of it. My new daddy brought two or three boys to the marriage. So now we are a blended family. My brother and I desperately trying to fit in because all of the, Rejection that we felt, and so things didn't go really easy. We looked really good to the public, though. <laughs> That's always the way, <my> right? <laughs> yeah. Everything looked really good, but um, but we were picked on quite a bit. My mom, being I I understand this now, but as a child, you know, I would cry about them picking on me, and she'd say, "Well, stop crying, and they'll quit bugging you." They're doing it because of the reaction. So as a child, what is, what does that, what does that mean? If I can't physically cry, I have to stuff it. My mom, they remarried when I was eight and a half roughly. So this is all going on very young where I'm learning that I can't really, I mean, I can't be a crybaby because that was what I was called. And I am very tender hearted. And so things hurt me deeply my daughter said my mom loves hard and deeply and so she'll cry but that does, but she loves and that's one of the things about so that was where i found myself
1: kind of stuck between blending families yeah. you're tender hearted Yeah, And now you're being told to stuff that down. Well, not being told, but as a child, you translate that. What's the other option that I have? And that would be to stuff. I
0: mean, it was true. When I quit crying about everything, they left me alone. Hmm. But that reinforced. So it wasn't that my mom was trying to give me any kind of bad advice, but but what that equated to is your feelings don't matter. We moved around a lot. So I was generally the new kid in class still trying to fit in still and and so i generally was the only redhead what happens when you're the only anything in school so there was a lot of teasing on the playground and so it was this constant feeling of i need to be perfect i got straight a's i always you know da 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 to try to fit in and then at the age of 14 someone that we knew hurt me and i became pregnant now i'm definitely not perfect this was not in the days where it, teenage pregnancies when I was a teenager was less, a lot less accepted, if you will, in society than it is today. So there was a lot of shame, even guilt when we don't deserve it. We really, it wasn't mine to say that those years were hard. I can't find the adjectives, but if you're listening and you've been through abandonment, rejection feeling like you're not good enough, you know, there's just no adjectives to describe that despair that you feel in your heart.
1: And that's the kind of wound that goes deep it and does. it takes years to overcome those bruises from sticks and stones. They go away, but those words, yeah, yeah, they go deep. Yep. And so it's I something hear. that even I over abandonment need, and I just got some recent nice healing there, but it's heals in layers. And, it does. Um, And that's where I find myself with abandonment, but I'm fifties, late fifties. So. Yep. And just getting another breakthrough on abandonment, but God's still willing to enter into that pain anytime I'm triggered. So you are getting this message reinforced. Why is it always the tender hearted ones? (laughs) I don't know. We need more tender hearted people, but they're the ones (laughs) to get shut down the fastest.
0: Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know why that is, but tender heartedness and how we're, we're left feeling that way. So I'm 15 when she's born. I had a little girl and there was a lot of, remember how I said we looked really good to the public. So my mom kept me hidden for her own reasons, but I interpreted it as you're embarrassed about me and you're shame, you know, shame and all of that kind of stuff but something about teenage years. If we're feeling sad, it's not a 10, it's a (laughs) hundred, right? I'm like, everything is intensified during the teenage years. And that's when I was going through all of this. And this is the days before internet, there was no cell phones. There was no internet. So the isolation and loneliness. And then the hormones, the hormones from pregnancy,
1: they're kicking all of that
0: was going Uh, on there was really no education about what was happening to my body. I had no clue even going into labor what was going to happen. There just wasn't. Unless you went to the library, you couldn't look it up on the internet like we can today.
1: <laughs> what a scary time though. Isolation, all of this is going on emotionally, hormonally. You've been told, you know, to stuff it down. You've got guilt and shame piled on top of this. Society is treating you Like you are, uh, you know, need to be hidden. And um, of course your mother's being, I know for us, we respond to society, right? And we act out according to how we think society wants us to act. And so I can see why your mother would hide you away and keep you from shaming the family in public. Right. Wow. So where is the hope here in this isolation?
0: Well, one of the things I grew up in a religious family, and to me, that's a big difference Between religion, religion, when I say that, I mean rules of of standards. Again, trying to be perfect, something that you're always trying to attain, we never quite get there. But one of the things that I encountered at 12 years old, I had an encounter with God that created the beginning of me developing an actual relationship. And when I was all alone, He was all I had. I couldn't really talk to my mom because remember, I can't tell her how I feel. That's been going on for years. And so I don't know whether she would have really been able to listen or not, but I had been conditioned, maybe a good word, to not share how I felt. So God was all I had. I spent most of the pregnancy crying. One of the things that that did is my daughter That I gave birth to cannot stand if anybody makes me cry. It likes it makes her off the charts as as she does everything in the world not to have anybody make me cry. She will come out fighting. (laughs) I'm just like I'm really okay. (laughs) That's sweet though. She's gonna protect her mama. Yeah, she heard me crying almost all my pregnancy that I was aware of, and. So, but during that time, I reached out to God. I had music. That's one thing I had. I had my Bible and I had conversations with Him. And they weren't our Father art in heaven you know they weren't those kind of <laughs> repairs there was like oh god
1: <laughs> right crying out
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like the ones that come from your gut it's mm-hmm. like i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm lost is anybody ever gonna love me am i worth anything and all i can say during the pre-delivery times was is that i just felt his love that somehow it was gonna be okay and i didn't know how I get very angry with religion because from my perspective, it stops me from relationship because I'm constantly trying to achieve something that God has already provided. That's good. To me, that's the difference is I don't need to work for him to love me. He already does, even in the mess of everything. And that if you're listening and you find yourself in those kind of moments that I'm describing that I lived through, is that if you call out to him, he will answer you. Do things get better overnight? No, but it's a journey. And it's something about like a friend walking through something traumatic with you. They can't make it better necessarily. God does a lot of that, but it's just walking through those things with him and allowing him to do that.
1: Yeah, knowing you're not alone. And the interesting yes. thing for my experience is that people try really hard and it does make a difference when they're present and they show their love and their interest in us and their care for us. But really only God can meet that Absolutely. deep, dark pain where yeah. it resonates in your being and you're just Absolutely. broken there. But he can mend those things, even like you mentioned a minute ago about having that peace in the midst of the pain. because the struggle is real. Like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. There is a real painful struggle to the process. What scripture were you holding on to during this time?
0: Well, one of the ones is in Romans and it's for those who love him, he works all things for good. Mm -hmm. There's so many Psalms about desperation of crying out to God. And when you seek him, you will find him. And so, That was what I hung on to is that I knew he was my source. I wouldn't have verbalized it that way as a teenager, but that's articulating it now, and that he would somehow turn this all for good. Mm -hmm. Would you like to hear how it turned out for good? I would love to hear how it turned (laughs) out for good.
1: (laughs) We're going to get to that for sure. You've got a lot that really is heartbreaking for a 15 year old who's isolated and facing. A real life crisis, another human being entering your world at 15. So, that generation or this generation, it's still, it might be more accepted today, but it's still quite a huge life transformation.
0: What was your biggest fear? Not being a good mom. That was one of my biggest fears. As I'm a child, my daughter's name is Andrea, and I always wanted her, but. Knowing that somehow, see, I'm already feeling like I'm a failure. So what if I fail her? Really? So that was one of my one of my biggest fears.
1: When you have her, does the guilt and shame continue? Were your dreams gone? Were your goals on hold? Because now your focus was this baby, which would make sense. But what needed to be redeemed after her birth? I think you had mentioned in an earlier conversation. Is that you, all you wanted was to be married and have a family. But now
0: I didn't know if anybody would ever love me was the actual belief that I had at the time after she was born. I was, I had a determination to prove everybody wrong. I've got a little sass going on (laughs) a little grit. (laughs) And I think any, anybody who has been through some traumatic events, we're survivors, not always thriving, but we're survivors. And so there is a difference between those two, but I wanted to prove everybody wrong. So I graduated what we would call homeschooling today before I was 17. And I was employed in a full-time job by the time I was 18. Shortly between 18 and 19, I got my own apartment. I'd been living with my parents and I began to go to school at night for college, one one course a semester, because that working full-time, being a mom and going to college was what I was doing at that time. Because
1: that reminds me, you would not have been able to finish high school. I would not. Not back then.
0: No, not back then. Could not finish high school. So I did all of that with just me and God. My parents did not help me financially other than giving me a place to live. But other than that, it caused a, a lot of pain for a while that my mom didn't help. But on the other hand... And I think in her perspective, she was trying, I needed to grow up. I needed to do the things. And so whatever reason, it turned out for good. (laughs) It turned out for good. One of the other scriptures that was, is I said this, not just every day, sometimes moment by moment is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in one of the versions I love, it says, is it infuses, he infuses strength into me. And so I did some meditation on the word infusion, and I'm a tea drinker. And when you infuse water with tea, they become one. And so it isn't just, he gives you a, a shot of vitamin B and you're on your way. It's, it's part of you it becomes that joining together. And so there were days that I said, every few minutes, I can do this because he's giving me strength. And I give that to mostly the credit to, because I'm still trying to perform, still trying to get people to accept me still trying to belong. All of that is still going on, but moment by moment, he was there
1: giving you that peace that surpasses understanding his presence, yes. really his presence is everything. I say that yes. often. His presence is everything because it gives you hope. The word gives you hope that feeling of his presence gives you, it's, it can settle you, make you feel secure. Even though things look terrible on your budget sheet, you don't even want to sit down to pay your bills because you know, there ain't enough money to pay Absolutely. them. Absolutely. So you're hoping to get married or have you, has that dream been dashed? Like I've got to focus on raising a baby, going to school, making a, no, you know, a job. I was a bill.
0: For a long time, I was focused on that. I don't think the dream ever went away, but I dated so many jerks. You know, I decided all guys were jerks. I had decided that it would just be me and my daughter and God, and that I would build a life around that. I wouldn't say that I ever wanted to stop getting married, but God was, I was content in that statement. It's like, That's just the way it's going to be is I need to keep myself and my daughter safe. And there's a lot of jerks in the world. And when they see a very young person with a child, there's all kinds of perceptions that are made about that that aren't weren't necessarily true. They weren't true at all. So then when I met my husband, we met in college at night when I met my husband and he asked me out, I kind of like, not really. (laughs)
1: told him to get lost.
0: <laughs> I didn't use it quite like that, but I wasn't like, "Yes, when can we go?" I wasn't like that.
1: <laughs> it's always the, when the right one comes along, you you've given up at that point. But that brings me to this surrender with God. So you lay this dream at his feet and say, "You know what? It's going to be me, you, and my baby girl, and we're going to have a good life. I'm going to serve you, love you, seek you." So you lay it all down. And then you meet your husband?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So what do you think is about that? That once we surrender, God then moves. That's happened to me several times. I fight too long, I suppose. And then when I finally surrender, then he moves and answers my prayer in some way, shape, or form.
0: Before, when we're trying to do it on our own and we're trying to force things or the other thing is, is that when I'm trying to control everything or trying to make something happen, that motivation is fear. It is fear-based. And I had stepped over into trust and faith. To me, that is the key of surrender. Surrender just doesn't sound good to the, to American people, especially. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you it's know, I mean, it just doesn't sound good, but what it is, is I'm putting my absolute trust And faith. And I'm giving my dreams to him to allow him to make them happen because he says he would give us the desires of our heart. That was one of my other favorite scriptures is, is that it's not that I, if you give your life to God, he's going to send you and make you do something you absolutely hate because Mm -hmm. that's not love. If you listening, have a child and they want to be X, Y, Z, you want to make them happy. And God designed me. And he knew what my desires were, but I surrendered the de- dreams to him for allow him to make them happen the way he wanted to make them happen. And I was going to trust in that. To me, that is real surrender. It isn't surrender that, okay, fine, I'll, I'll just give it up and I'll never get it. It's not that kind. It's the kind that I'm going to just trust you with them and allow you to do it instead of me being in fear.
1: God is a good father and he does give us all good things. And when we feel like he's withholding something from us that is good, we still have to trust the fact that he is good. And I know that's happened for me a couple of times in my life um, where I even give me, gives me a vision and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to work toward this vision, work toward this vision. Then nothing happens. Like I thought it was supposed to happen. But as soon as I recline in him and look to him to say, all right, where are you going with this vision? And then things change. Things start to happen. I begin to understand him in a different way. I'm uh, learning what he's revealing about himself in the process. And then my desires become his desires in this context of what he was calling me or drawing me into. So surrender is a beautiful thing with Christ, not just surrendering to anyone or anything, but surrendering to Christ. He is trustworthy. I have learned that over the years. Granted,
0: a lot of times we're standing in our own way. I I don't think that that, I don't, I don't really come from the perspective that God is withholding from us, but timing is important. And a lot of times I'm the stumbling block by trying to make it happen the way, you know, I've said, I'm a planner. Okay, I love checklists, I love plans, all of those kind of things. I'm a planner and I would ha- I have gone to God after, you know, disappointments in the past. And now we we joke about it. I will say to him, here's what I think should happen in case you need a plan. <laughs> That's good though. I love that, that And I'm so like, so you know, I, I'm willing to do it your way, but I thought this went up.
1: <laughs> I'm more like maybe not so much a planner, but I'm like. You know, Lord, here's my idea on how it should be done. So maybe that is still planning in a sense, but <laughs> yeah, if you've never heard God laugh out loud, tell him something like that. And then you're like, Lord, is that you laughing? <laughs> Backing up just a little bit when you moved out on your own at 18 and 19, that still had to be very scary. You had mentioned earlier in a conversation that we had where you held on to, I believe it was Psalm 37:25, where part of it says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging in the street talk to me a little bit about how that brought you comfort.
0: As I said, I was in the Bible. I was reading the word. The difference between reading it at church, you know, and just hearing it and daily making this a part of your life. That's that's huge difference. And there were times where I didn't know how I was I paid the rent but didn't know quite how I was going to feed buy food. I had applied for in that state, it was called food stamps, you know, assistance from the state. I'm a single woman. I applied for it and working full time, I made $1 too much and they wouldn't give me any help. Now, if I I had stopped and just stayed home, I could have gotten my rent paid. I could have gotten things done, but I didn't. And so I relied on God and there were days where It was tomato soup and hot dogs or, you know, things that I still remember a a can of tomato soup was like 16 cents in those days. We're going back a few years, (laughs) hot dogs were cheap. And so not that they were nutritious. And so God promised that I wouldn't have to beg that he would take care of me. And he did. He absolutely did
1: that's another layer of comfort too. that security that he provides for us. I remember when I moved down at 18, but I well I got kicked out of my house at 18, is the real story. Um and I ramen noodles were the bomb. I mean ramen noodles what were they 16 Absolutely. cents a pack?
0: Absolutely. And tuna I think they fish. were 10 10 for me, 10 something cents a pack. like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: They held you over that can of tuna fish, you get that for lunch and yep. dinner. Yep. <laughs> You're making it, hey, I had an apartment, I had a car, and I had a job, but uh, you're right. I paid those bills, but I needed to eat. Eat,
0: uh, Eating was secondary. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between surviving and thriving? Like, what does it feel like to survive versus when you know you're in this space of thriving?
0: Surviving to me is a constant struggle. It's always defensive or fight mode. It's that constant feeling of, of struggle. I had that for a lot of my adult life, even at, and when I was married, it's that constant feeling of still needing to struggle and still needing to prove something. Thriving is, the you use the word reclining. It's learning that I am enough where I am on my journey. And learning how to embrace who you are instead of trying to be, and the other thing is embrace your scars, embrace the pain points. This was a story we kept secret. And for me to begin to tell people was a big deal. So, you know, this didn't happen overnight where you're talking about your pain points, but begin to embrace your scars and embrace that they're part of you. I often call turning your baggage into luggage is one of the things I do as a coach. And my baggage is, is why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? This isn't right. This isn't fair. No one ever paid. And all of those kind of feelings and the grief and the loss of everything that little 14-year-old person, girl lost, and staying in that. And even though we still go on, it's like, we're still kind of dragging that around. One of the things that when my husband and I were married is he would say, I love you. And it's a joke. Now we've been married 37 years and I would say, what? And he'd say, I love you. And I go, what? Cause he knew everything. And he knew that I needed to hear it again. I just wanted to hear him say it again. You look pretty today. What? You know, uh whatever it was that he said because I t- needed to believe it. I needed to believe it. Because when I begin to believe it then I receive it.
1: And then you live in the believing of that and that's how you yes. carry yourself into the world. So that's another encouraging note
0: is that there are good men still there loved. are um, there are a lot of good men. Often it is unfortunate we really begin to attract what we expect. That's I, that has to do with identity too. Who is, it know. does. And if I, and that's why I was talking about, we get in our own way is because I quit expecting jerks and decided to let it go. And when that happened, I attracted a man and an incredible man. So have we had our moments over 37 years? I'm not going to pretend like everything's been rosy, <laughs> but life isn't, but we did it together. Learning to be able to do things together and go from, to me, your question initially was surviving and thriving and learning to be able to receive love, to learn, to believe that everything that happens is actually can be turned for good. I wouldn't have met my husband, first of all, at night college without this. I wouldn't be where I am today and helping women all around the globe to be able to live and be be who God created them to be to find their purpose to find why and to be able to step into the life they've always dreamed
1: and you wouldn't have had a best buddy who's only a few years younger than you are is to do life with as well Absolutely <laughs> your daughter Absolutely So maybe surviving versus thriving is when we go from the even the concept the belief the thought the identity of I am not enough to I am enough. Now, there's a struggle in between that transition and to understanding how God feels about us, who he is. Because I think a lot of times when we discover who God is, we discover who we are. And then when we dig a little deeper and look to see what he says about us, how he attends to us, his intimacy with us. And I think that's what begins to transform that whole way of thinking about who we are and what we deserve. Because identity does set you up. You believe who. You're worthy of marrying, or you're worth the job you're worthy of, the way people treat you, all of that stuff. And so, to me, that's huge when you think about it like that. It's everything.
0: Yeah. One of the stories that came to mind um, that tells how God speaks to our hearts in those moments is I am married, happily married, involved in my church in leadership when all this occurred. I've got a teenager and younger kids. Um, that, that came from my marriage, still struggling with the, I don't need to prove anything kind of feeling the performance mentality. One of the things that I was in this group that we were digging deeper into what God really believed and said about us, what did he actually provide for us through the cross? One of the things that always bothered me is my name, because I was named my, My biological father's name was Donnie, and I was supposed to be a boy, according to him being his firstborn, and I was a girl, so I was named after him, and that always bugged me, this named after him that somebody that didn't even really want me, didn't even want who I was, and then rejected and left. God told me during this, this thing to look up what my name meant. And I think I'm in my thirties. And so I looked it up and it means gracious lady. And he said, what do you, what does gracious mean? And it means to be like God. Mm -hmm. And he said, they may have wanted to name you after because you were supposed to be some, but I named you after me.
1: And that's so like him.
0: And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is like, only he could have led me on that path to speak something that mattered to my heart that I hadn't told anybody that it bothered me. I hadn't actually even talked to him about it. It was just one of the things that came up and he led me on that journey to discover that. So I'm trying to live up to gracious lady and everything I do and be that woman to everyone I encounter.
1: What a great example, too, of when we press into God for that intimacy with him and that he speaks into these places of doubt or pain, just like he did again for me with my abandonment issue was a precious um, time of intimacy with him. My mother had kicked my, well, she didn't kick us out of the car. We were fighting on who was going to ride shotgun. Well, she got mad told my brother who was a year older than I was, I was probably six or seven and he would have been seven or eight to shut the door. So he shuts the door and she drives off and she doesn't come back. So we stand and we wait, we stand and we wait. She still doesn't come back. So finally we decide we probably should start walking toward home. So we're walking along the side of the street when she finally comes, pulls up and we get in the truck. But she always threatened to leave me places. And so now I know that she will leave me places. And so that was this reoccurring dream that I had of her. We'd be somewhere and she would leave me and I would see her and I would wave and she would look at me and then she would just drive off like she wouldn't even wave or anything, but I would see her lock eyes. So anyway, I asked the Lord, you know, where were you in that moment? Like, why would you leave me all alone? And he shows me a vision. I get a vision and he is walking beside me with his hand on my back and he's looking down at me as if he's talking to me or or caring for me. And so that right there was just such a relief to me and it eased. I I feel like that's probably my last layer of healing for abandonment because, but you know, if I get triggered again, then God's got more for me with regard to healing and, in an abandonment issue. And I'm, I'm prepared for that, but I'm going to enjoy the beauty of where I'm at right now and the freedom that I have in this level. So when we press in, my point being, when we press into God for intimacy with him, he has never failed to show me who he is Or what I mean to him. So intimacy with God is everything over religion. We can't simply have experience and no knowledge, but we can't simply have knowledge and no experience. So it is, that's how you bridge, in my opinion, that's how you bridge that religion to relationship. Any thoughts on
0: what I shared? Experiential is one of the things that's missing from religion is the experiencing God's love or experiencing him touching your heart for whatever pain point we have. I call this whole process, I, and usually it's around forgiveness, because this is another key component to forgiving the people that have, have hurt us, is I call it like an onion. It's like I peel it and I cry and heal. And, and then God goes, the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's enough for now. And then a little while later, okay, we're ready. Let's do another layer. And it's not that I didn't forgive or that I didn't do healing. It is a process to be able to go deeper with God and learn that it's, and so that's what I mean by embracing your journey is like, it's okay. It's like being, enjoying the moment that you're in the thankfulness for what we're in. If there's more, there's more, but I'm on a journey and being who I am and being okay with who I am because I'm loved and accepted where I am. Not when I get there, but where I am and learning to do that in an experiential way because when we seek him, we will find him. This life has
1: wounds and trauma and brokenness but it's god who enters into that he has no fear of entering into the middle of your hot mess my hot mess <laughs> i should say and and walking you through it like it's his presence that helps you navigate the strangeness of this life or the pain of this life you we he said he would never leave us alone and he most certainly has never left me alone in the midst of my pain in the midst of my bad decisions and when yes. i got kicked out of the house i was i say this all the time my listeners know this about me I had more survival skills than I had relationship skills. So I had, I was set up to make poor decisions and do things that were not conducive to what got to God's best, to what God had for me. So, you know, I get it. And I love that he definitely folds that stuff into our story. He uses every bit of it, doesn't waste any of it. So why should we hide from him with it? There's healing to be had.
0: One of the things that we don't often realize is you can't disappoint God. And let me describe what I mean by that. To be disappointed, if you, Sherry, disappointed me, I would have expected you to be different or do something different than you did, which would cause me to be disappointed in you. Correct? Correct. But God isn't disappointed in us because we can't surprise him. True. And, and to think that we didn't disappoint him by our bad mistakes. We didn't, they didn't catch him surprised. It's like, okay, I've screwed up my life. There's no hope now. It's I'm sorry. That's just not true because no matter what we've done, we didn't surprise him. He looked ahead and provide. He knew my whole life cycle before I was born and it doesn't surprise him. So you, you listening, you are not a disappointment to God. Amen. You're not too far gone. You haven't messed up too much. You haven't made too many bad decisions that he can't make it good. And Amen. I know in the middle of it, both you and I, Sherry, have not felt like that was possible. But we've lived a little bit longer than perhaps you listening. And if not, if we're the same age, he can still make it good. It can still turn. Around. He takes our ashes and gives us beauty, our mourning and gives us joy. And only God can do that.
1: Hey, if you find yourself sitting in a pile of ash and rubble and dirt, just remember, dirt in the right hands, God's hands, becomes new life. There really is no excuse for us to stay in shame and guilt when we have Jesus, when we have. God we bring these things to his feet we lay them there and he has provided healing he has provided restitution he has provided covering over those things not that not that we're immune to consequences for our choices but God does remove the guilt and the shame for those things talk to me a little bit now about how like Joel 2:25 I will repay you for the years when that were eaten by the locusts, you have a husband who's a fabulous man. So God blessed you with that dream of a husband and a family because you went on to have more children as well. How has God restored what the locust has, has eaten for you?
0: I don't necessarily know that I look backwards because I did for a lot of years is more in the losses of things. But what I've learned is, is that we can look in the rearview mirror and try to drive our car down the road and we crash, or I can look out the windshield and be thankful for the scenery in front of me and beside me in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the most thing that is restorative is, is that all things can be turned for good and that there is joy and gratitude wherever I find myself today. I didn't always do that so good in the past, but I often talk to people when I'm meeting with clients, is they're in that I shoulda, woulda, coulda, all of those kind of feelings. And I'll say, which where are you looking? Are you looking out the windshield? Are you looking in your rearview mirror and mourning our past? Now there's a part of grief that we need to mourn. There is a part of that. But most of us stayed in there too long. In Psalms 23, he said he walks through the valley. We walk through the valley of shadow of death. Well, I've pitched a tent there. (laughs) I have to at times. I've just I'm going to build a house and I'm going to camp here. And we're supposed to be moving through it. Yeah. I begin to look for the things that's going to be restorative. I look for the blessings in the future instead of what I've quote lost. I look at what is ahead of me. What is? Don't let that, that period or incident or whatever it is in your life, be your whole book. Let it be a paragraph, let it be a chapter and close it and begin to look forward out of your front, the windshield of your car, so to speak.
1: This is beautiful because we can't pitch the tent in our pain and suffering, but like you mentioned that it is important that you grieve it but we can't stay there. I didn't want to be known for my pain, my grief. I wanted to be known as full of life and full of joy again. Do I miss my husband? Yes, I miss my husband. Do I still mourn him? I have my days. They're farther and farther between, but I have those times where I just have my little cleansing cry. God's drawing me out into that green pasture again. And I do look forward to that green pasture again.
0: A lot of times I'm crying beside the river. In this, yeah. And he is restoring my soul. Mm. So cleansing and crying about that is healing. It's restorative and that he's healing our soul because I, the way I, I use a similar terminology is, daddy, this hurts, make it better. Mm. It's like, I can't, I'm giving the pain to you. I'm giving you my hopes and my dreams and trusting you with them. And you need to make it better. And, and allowing him to do that, not camping out in the grief, begin to look with hope. To yeah. me, that's that scripture in Joel, the best is yet to come. Yeah, It's not Amen. the other way around.
1: Amen. I know that for me, I'm more filled with hope when I take my eyes off myself and my situation and put them on God. Because Satan, one of Satan's most, cruel weapons that he uses against us is the would'ves, should'ves, and could'ves. And so at times when I pitched my tent in that valley of the shadow of death, and when I meet, when I say that valley, I just mean that deep, dark pain. When I was in that dark pain, I was still struggling with him. I was still talking to him. Even in that, there's a process of moving forward because now I'm I'm getting all my questions out. Now I'm processing with the Lord. And I will say it is important to struggle well with God. I think it's important that we ask the tough questions, but like you say, don't get stuck there.
0: God is more interested in my relationship with him and the growth that I have, the fortitude, the gifts of the spirit, me being like him, than he is in my circumstances. But Mm -hmm. most of our prayers are not on, make me like you, God. It's about, would you fix this? And that's not his primary focus to fix stuff, even though he does. But a lot of times the thing that's getting fixed, if you will, (laughs) it's the growth in me. It's not always do my circumstances change. And so why I'm saying that is my focus is relationship, not circumstances.
1: One of the things that has been precious to me is when something happens to move from Lord, make this go away. Lord, if you're in this, it shouldn't be painful. Then moving to, all right, sitting in the pain, sitting in the struggle and going, Lord, who are you in the midst of this? Reveal yourself to me in this. So I'm no longer praying for the pain to go away. I'm praying for God to reveal himself in this context. You had mentioned that your friend calls you a walking miracle, but you know yourself that miracles don't happen overnight there's a lot of painful processing that goes on. Can you share a little bit about what it looks like to be a miracle? How do you get to this miracle that other people say, hey, I know your life and wow, look what's happened. Well, look what God's done.
0: When the person said that to me, it was an acquaintance who was looking at me from a little bit of a distance and heard my story and and made that statement. And I thanked them, but I thought this miracle, maybe talking about me, was one little decision after another. It was one more time saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when I felt like I couldn't go on, when I didn't have strength to even move, let alone do what I needed to do in my life. It's those one, any little moment by moment decisions that we made. And when we fall down, getting up again, when we're mad at God, we for forgiving ourselves and forgiving him. It's those moment by moment, little decisions that create miracles, you know, major things as a miracle, but life is full, absolutely packed with these little moment by moment miracles. God's showing me that about my name. He didn't have to do that. It's those moment by moment things that create miracles in our life. And that people sit back and look at where I was to where I am today. And there's amazement. And I I know who to give the credit to. I didn't have to choose it. I could have made completely different choices. And it was tempting to go in the wrong direction through it all. His anchor held me to be able to not do what everybody thought I would do. That the way the pull was. I wanted to be loved. Look for the miracle every day. Look for the little moments every day, little things to be thankful for, that the sun came up and you saw a beautiful sunrise, that you saw a flower, that you saw a bird, someone bought you a coffee, all the little things in life that people don't have to do, that there's a lot of miracles to be thankful for. It's that gift of choice. And we get to use
1: it every day, all day long, choosing to believe this, choosing to believe that, choosing to value this, choosing to value that, be thankful for this you know, overlook it here. The gift of choice that God gave us is miraculous. life. Yeah, it's miraculous. You're right. It's miraculous. And like you mentioned to me, I don't quite understand it, but God's word is living. And so when you use that for your anchor, when you b- choose to believe that he is who he said he is based on his word and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, there's life in that. There's shifting in that. There's mindset change Absolutely. In- in rewriting this life, this world with his truth and with his word. Powerful stuff.
0: Yes, it is living. It is not quoting just a book off the shelf. There is something living and energizing and piercing that gets to the root of things that nothing else does.
1: As I look at your story, you've moved from a little girl who felt abandoned and then there was shame and isolation And then, you know, God comes in and gives you hope and he restores dreams and you're considered a miracle. Where has God got you today? What is God using
0: as part of your redemption? The ministry I'm involved in is called Vibrant Living International. I am primarily a life mastery coach. I'm also a minister, but my focus is helping people find out who they really are and what the inheritance is. That God has provided for us, turning our baggage into luggage so that we can create the life we've always dreamed, learning how to live from our spirit. We're a spirit. How do we live that way when everything in the world is temporal? And how do we learn to live that way and walk and so we can partner with God in what He wants to do in and through you is what I love to do every day.
1: When you spoke of inheritance. Talk to me a little bit about that, what God has given us as an inheritance.
0: I don't think we have enough time. (laughs) Almost everyone knows that Jesus died. No matter what religion, no matter what their belief system are, no matter where they are, they've heard that Jesus died for us. What does that mean is what I mean by inheritance. Because if I had a will, and I do, and I die, then my will is executed. My descendants get whatever I left them. And Jesus died and left a will. It's called a covenant. And what did that provide for us? And all of the things we've talked about today and we've hit on is part of the things that he provided for us. One of my life passions, and I say this often, is one of my life missions is to experience everything he paid for. And I don't know that if I will get there by the time I I go to heaven, but that's my mission is to live every day like that. And so it's discovering it's it's things that are hidden that we don't know about yet. What did that mean? And to be able to live in that and create the life that he wants for us.
1: That sounds like a very rich conversation to have because my mind is
0: going <laughs> everywhere It's just
1: endless, endless what he's done, what he's left and a will that God gives us. And that means both eternally and in even here where you're saying that yes. I want it all before I leave here. I want what was supposed to be given to me here. I want it. Yes. So that's pretty exciting because God is the God of adventure. You think he you is. know adventure or you think you'd like adventure. God has got adventure.
0: He's got such a sense of humor from creation and and creativity, and he put it there for us to discover. He didn't have to do that in science and all of the things that we're discovering. He created that adventurous creativeness in us. And so let's live to our fullest potential.
1: Amen, sister. Amen.
0: Vibrant living.
1: Vibrant living ministries. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that my listener must know today before you leave?
0: I just wanna reiterate again is I'm here if you feel like you want somebody to talk to and to get some more support in wherever you are on your journey. One last question.
1: When you think about some of the dark places that you've been in as a young child or as raising a daughter, or questioning God about how am I supposed to turn my baggage into luggage, what is something beautiful that God said to you in, that da- in the darkness?
0: That everything was gonna be okay, that I've got you. Everything is gonna be okay. No matter wherever we find ourselves, that never goes out of style. We've lived in a crazy world the last couple of years. There's so much propaganda of fear. There is a real crisis, but there's a propaganda of fear going on. And learning that no matter what he's got me, keeps me out of fear and in faith.
1: Donna has so much more for you if you reach out to her, but if the only thing you remember today is that God is telling you that he's got you, that will be enough. Lean into him, press into him and grow your intimacy with him as a relationship. Donna, thank you, my friend. I appreciate your conversation today and I look forward to provide more information about your ministry to my listeners. Sounds great. Thank you, Sherry.